Welcome to the founders of Web3 series by Outlier Ventures and me, your host, Jamie Burke. Together, we're going to meet the entrepreneurs, their backers, and the leading policymakers that are shaping Web3. Together, we're going to try to define what is Web3, explore its nuances, and understand the mission and purpose that drive its founders. If you enjoy what you hear, please do subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission that is Web3. Great. So today I'm happy to say we've got just Peter. I've been told to introduce him <laughs> sure. from um, Meta Cartel, Peter Pan. And I guess I don't really give you a title because it's a fairly leaderless organization. But from what there's, I can see... It's definitely leaders, I guess. Um, but it's just like, I, you know, I don't think there's... I think it's hierarchy is important, but, you know, um, there's no need for titles often. They, they could be useful, but, you know, I'd, I personally, my, pref, my, my, my selfish uh, preference is to... <laughs> not have anything type of. Well, I can see, I mean, you know, ultimately you look at things like the manifesto, the Web3 manifesto, I can see that that was drafted by you, uh, I'm sure in collaboration with a, a number of other people. Absolutely. So the reason why I wanted to, to get you on and to explore Meta Cartel is this series is really speaking to founders across what we could loosely define as Web3. Uh, that's a, a rabbit hole we can probably go down a little bit later as well. To, to what degree you subscribe to that. I can see, as I said, there is a manifesto. It directly references Web3, although I would say you have a, um, a more unique perspective on it or a more expanded perspective on it, actually, societally sure. than perhaps most people. But it would be good to understand, you know, the the, the journey of uh, Meta Cartel. I, I see you you describe it as folklore, leveraging the kind of the gaming analogy. Um, sure. But the reason why I wanted you guys on is I think I, I don't fully understand the direction it's going and that might be hmm. a generational thing but it certainly feels of the zeitgeist right now i i can imagine that this proto organization is going to become increasingly common not just in web3 and crypto but potentially uh, across um you know the wider internet and uh, many other different forms of economic activity so it's something i'm personally intellectually interested in but equally I think if you're a founder and you're considering you know, how you're going to bring a particular innovation to market, clearly setting up a startup, raising money from a VC in a classic sense through equity, it isn't the only game in time, town now. There is an alternative. Um, and so that's really um, uh, why I wanted you guys on. So, but yeah, it'd be great to understand you know, your personal background, what led you into Meta Cartel and, and then the, the folklore that goes behind its, its creation. So before the whole crypto space, I was a product designer, um, a UX designer mostly, you know, uh, in roles in really early stage projects and teams uh, where, you know, maybe the teams just raised the seed round and they want the first uh, dedicated designer to join the team. And I would do a lot of like, you know, user research, uh, UX research, talking to customers, you know, um, clients, people, users, right? And, you know, understanding them. And that, I guess, you know, the interesting thing about Web3 was that it drew me in, interestingly, because of like, I guess, where I could see the technology going. I really couldn't pin it down what, uh, what it was, but I, I guess I was kind of drawn to the space and I was magnetated. And, you know, I, in, and I joined the space around late 2017, nearly at the height of the bull market then. I think I, you know, I think it was like my brother who like mentioned something called Ethereum and I just learned about it, started the learning and I started attending meetups in the city of Sydney, right? And I, got, I was onboarded and I, I guess I was brought up 
into the crypto space by um, a community called, uh, I guess the Sydney firm community, and mainly by a guy called Bucky Cooper, I'm not sure if people know. And he ran like Ethereum workshops, uh, like Ethereum 101 workshops for beginners. And that's where I started my journey. Um, I guess with a good point being is that, you know, you don't really see where the direction is going with a lot of this DAO stuff as well as Metacartel and what it is, right? I guess it's a pretty good reason for it. You know, I mean, Metacartel was never set out to, I guess we never premeditated what Metacartel would be and should be. You know, um, the Metacartel doubt self and the other doubts that we've created, right, are mostly, mostly stem from like being there, you know, with the community and seeing where uh, people want to, what people want to build and where things want to go. And I guess I wouldn't call it like a startup in the sense that we're trying to build a company, right? I guess it's a big experiment. And, you know, I've always, my, I basically just stumbled and navigated my uh, whole time throughout the Web3 and Ethereum ecosystem, just experimenting and being led by my curiosity. You know, I'm, I'm otherwise pretty much an idiot on, on most topics. <laughs> you uh, too, and, too, you're in good company. Yeah, so I, you know, I guess it's a big experiment. And, you know, I think we've learned really interesting things and it's been a great tool for us uh, to reflect upon. And I think, you know, those, I guess the insights that we've learned from like experimenting medical and DAO building this community of DAO, DAP devs and DAO creators, right, um, have kind of are beginning to lead to other questions. And, you know, we're just exploring them. Yeah, so you, you kind of describe yourself as an ecosystem of creators, operators, and builders of decentralized apps, DAPs. And obviously, you know, the, the concept of a DAO has been on the hit list of the Ethereum community for, <laughs> for a long time, right? Or the wish list, hit list, it depends how you look at it. Um, and then obviously, you know, the DAO kind of set, set that back a little bit. Why do you think it's now that we're revisiting the idea of a DAO and it's beginning to see more traction? Because it almost seems exponential in growth. Not quite, but it feels like it's on the yeah. cusp of an explosion of DAOs. I think the under the, there is an argument that you know Ethereum and Web3 was created here um, to build DAOs, you know, as as a main focus, you know, uh, except with kind of I guess it's like in a way, you know, you can think of like Web3 all about being creating uh, projects and systems that are owned uh, and owned, governed, and you know, run by communities, you know, uh, bottom up projects, you know, where you know people are able to have a say in like how, how it's created, you know, how it evolves, you know? And I guess it's like the reason why we haven't really focused on that. I, I wouldn't say so. I think like tokens in a way like resemble uh, tokens, the tokens that we've seen in Ethereum kind of attempt to achieve that vision, except it did it <laughs> because you, it turns out you don't build a community by, you know, selling large chunks of your community off to the highest bidder. Apparently that doesn't work in like the community building process. You know, it turns out that, one of the things I've learned is that, you know, community building, you know, it's not a linear process and you can't necessarily force it. It's not a matter of money. Uh, it's actually a matter of trust. And, you know, that's one thing that I think that's something that, you know, needs to be built over time. Right. And in other factors involved. So it's interesting because, you know, when you speak about when, when people speak about tokens, they talk about it as incentives and disincentives to bootstrap and coordinate distributed systems, communities. But one of the things that keeps coming up when I interview people is this concept of trust, but not, yeah. not, not codified trust, actually, you know, actual real meat based trust that has to coexist alongside the technology. And I think 
that that's really interesting to understand. You know, most people think that you're devolving all trust to code when you're launching a DAO, but clearly that's not not your perspective. Well, um, yeah, like let's be realistic. The whole world operates in trust. Trust is great. World without trust sucks. And you know, like I think the thing with trust is that there's, I guess, you know, what I'm trying to get to is that you know, like the in a community, a community is built with trust and you know, non-transactional relationships. Whereas with crypto, everything so far has been all about incentives and transactions, right? Uh, transactions of rewards, incentives, and blah blah blah, right? And I think there's this like conflict here of like, you know, what, how do you build a community that is aligned together without, you know, like ruining what the community is and how the, the, the spirit of it, right? It's like incentives, uh, monetary incentives, you know, and, you know, I guess being value aligned <laughs> often, you know, at, at a conflict of each other. And I guess, you know, you could explain, you know, all of these ICOs as being, you know, um, it was all incentives. Uh, no community, community in the sense of like trust, human trust, and the bill and the willingness to transact in uh, you know in non-monetary manners, right? Yeah. Reputationally, even spiritually, if you will, right? right. Um, you know, because it's one common theme that we've been. I guess one thing we've been we've been talking about in Metacarta was just like we've written now a new kind of um kind of like guide, I guess, on how to build <laughs> DAOs, right? It's called the Community First Manifesto. We like manifestos right around here um and you know we kind of realized it it, it didn't really it doesn't really talk about like crypto at all it's just like you know give to people around you <laughs> give to others and you know like be a good neighbor basically right like don't be an asshole you know reward people who contribute you know like be open information uh, uh information symmetry is good and it's like it's kind of almost like this sounds like a religion yeah, you know, this sounds well, like you know, the, the the Christian thing of like be good to your neighbor and you know you should you should do well, and it, in a way it's like with, with metacultural DAO being a grand style, right, where people pledge you know a minimum of ten ETH to join, it's kind of like people are willing to pledge ten ETH because they believe that the value gained from coordinating together is so much greater than just the ten ETH in monetary value, and I think we've kind of like been rediscovering what that means through these um, DAOs, which are on the other side of the spectrum, self-curated, right? Very community focused. A lot of work is done for complete, like without real incentives. And, you know, I think people are looking at it and, and being like, you know, there are no monetary incentives within Metacartal DAO. There are no, you know, st structured systems, but why are people, why is it thriving? Yes. Right. Uh, the, and I think- we What can, does it represent that's been, been missing, I guess? Right, right. And I think, you know, that's looking at that, you know, I think it's, you know, we have to learn from that and we have to learn. And I guess we have to ask ourselves, have um, the systems that we've been building up till today uh, been working? Do they work? Do they, are they, do they work to the extent that we want them to work? Let's be real here. Yeah. We, we blabber on about like community run projects and systems, but like how many projects and tokens on the top 10 market list for a few ERC20s have a real thriving contributor community? Or is it just a company that's just like building everything? paying everyone uh, salaries to build the thing. It, I, I guess it's like, it, I don't think it's anyone's fault as well. I, sure. I think, you know, there's definitely like, there's, it's a mix of greed to like not knowing what we're doing to like, you know, I guess just trying to figure it out as we go, right? It's, it's, and I also think by nature, like when you have like these permissioned, uncurated, open communities and systems, if you go via these tokens that are purely based on financial incentives, you're going to get what you sow. I mean, I, you know, from my perspective, it, it feels like we're in a natural cycle. So 
when the innovation, the underlying innovation was money, it was only natural that you would get this, you know, hyper exaggerated hype cycle, that that would be distracting. And, you know, I think the fact that a lot of people who've been in the space for long enough, they've, they've made, some of them have made millions, some of them have lost millions in a matter of months. And so I think finding things that have value beyond that, they probably have a, a new perspective on money and wealth that they didn't have when they entered or that wasn't there at the peak. And it's actually quite aligned to, you know, as an investor or an accelerator, we see lots of people entering with a startup because it's a good idea or it could make the money or they could exit it. And I always tell them, look, assume it's going to fail because most do, most startups fail. And, you know, would you have done it anyway? Because, Mm. If it's something you're going to spend five years on, you're probably going to become overweight. You're going to lose your hair. I mean, I'm describing <laughs> me as we're, as we're talking. Um, well, I, I also but, don't have hair right now, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting that. And, you know, very likely you'll, you'll end up being poorer than richer. So if at the end of all of that, if you didn't Checks enjoy out. the... Pro- yeah, if, if you didn't enjoy the... the um, if you didn't enjoy the process then Mm. you might as well have not done it. And so I I think perhaps that's the thing that you've, you've, that that spark you've reignited in the community generally, which is, you know, well, why are we here? I mean, yes, it would be a nice byproduct if we can make money, but if we're we're gonna spend a lot of our time contributing to something, at least make sure it's impactful and and rewarding on a personal level. I, I like, I'm sure there are plenty of like companies out there and corporations out there yet to be built that are highly profitable. Like, the, you know, like companies today highly, like the thing about corporations in general and like how they're structured today is that the two folks are profit and hence there's no nuance for anything else. So like, you know, in, in, in a way, right, it's like if you really wanted to, you know, create profit seeking and I guess, I guess there's a middle ground between like maybe Dow's create, you know, on an aggregate more value, right, and, and more profit. But I guess it's like, you know, yeah, you know, what are we here in Web3 to do? <laughs> here to do, right? Um, are we here to spin the wheels? Or, you know, and I think definitely previously had a bit of frustration against that, but I guess it's like, I think we still need time, right? So why do you think that, that, that this movement was born out of the Ethereum community? What, what is it about the Ethereum community <laughs> that, that it was or is? And is it fair to say, well, do you, do you think that this is an extension of the Ethereum community? It's expanding? Or do you think that this is kind of it, it, it fracturing? Oh, it's funny. I, I often joke that the Ethereum, the Ethereum community's business model is begging. Um, but in a, in, a, in a slight way, in a, in, on the positive side of things, it's also true in a way, in the sense that, you know, in Ethereum, that you have this culture of like, I guess, um, yellowing and just throwing your money into things that, you know, are interesting. Like the DAO itself was this unproven concept, yet it like had it coordinated about like fifteen percent of Ethereum's total amount of ETH <laughs> into unaudited smart contracts, crying out loud, right? And it's like it, it went up to two hundred forty million dollars, and it, it didn't even make a single investment, right? And that's like the that was a sign of like uh, that epitomizes what Ethereum's culture it looks like and is, right? And maybe what enabled all these like you know borons and ICO craze, but. I guess it started like I think with Molokdal, you know, which started 2019, where, you know, before then, like before 2000, started 2019, there were still a few DAO projects like DAO Stack and Aragon, right? 
and they were kind of like still continuing to work, keeping the Dow uh, conversation alive, but it was still highly theoretical. And I guess it was and kind of was really down. listening, right? I mean, it no, was... no, 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 no one gave a shit, you know, no one gave a fuck. And I guess it was kind of like, and everyone was so highly theoretical. Um, no one, you know, doesn't matter much. And I guess it was with Moloch down, right? That was created a bunch of, uh, by a group of people from the Ethereum community. Um, they wanted to create a DAO to fund and solve the problems of Ethereum infrastructure and public goods funding, right? Like, for example, you know, the EF can only do so much and they can, they're, they're fairly, like, I guess, they can be seen, you know, as a, as a slow moving organization. <laughs> Let's put it that way, right? And, you know, people needed to solve problems today and needed resources today, right? And I guess, I mean, Solani and a few other folks, right? James Young, Rahul, uh, and they basically created Moloch DAO, where basically it's the MVP of a DAO, basically, uh, that aim to lower the minimum cost to participate. I guess the feature called Rage Quit. Uh, and basically, I, I the love, idea. I love that concept. Right. It, it's a really, the TLDL, the concept is, is that typically, you know, um, when you commit funds to something, uh, you may not be able to pull it out. Right. And I guess in a traditional grants DAO or even a venture fund, right, you'd commit funds and it's locked up. Right. Um, and the idea of like the Moloch DAO uh, rage quit uh, function for fund funds, right? It's just that when you commit funds in a in a in this DAO, you can leave at any time with everything you have, uh, or at least are entitled to. And basically, you know, this DAO created you know a new wave of interest in DAOs mainly because it works. You know, <laughs> you know, they built the thing. It's, it's like you know, very very simple. Uh, it's really simple code. They shipped it. And, you know, it coordinated about $200,000 initially, and then it just got to work. And, you know, uh, and I think that was when I wanted to, I kind of became aware of the project and I wanted to join the project and, you know, pledge. So basically it works by having all some of his pledge funds into it, right? The minimum uh, pledge was about 100 ETH at the time. And I wanted to join, but I'm not rich, <laughs> right? So I, I wanted to join with like my 10, I only had like 10 ETH to spare. That was like 50% of the ETH I had or something like that back then. And, you know, I wanted to pledge and they rejected me because I was too poor, um, you know, and I guess it's like that started the whole saga. And I think, you know, you know, um, that DAO was important for Ethereum because there was no financial incentive aside from like, if you help Ethereum grow, your own portion of Ethereum goes up maybe, right? That was the outlier perspective and I guess incentive. Right. Um, but aside from that, it was kind of like, hey, there's this DAO thing. Let's like solve some problems. You want, are you in? <laughs> You're not going to make money from this. Yes, no. And then people said, let's do it. Um, so in a way, like Ethereum has this culture of like just betting on like, you know, things that things are, I guess, not only highly risky, but, you know, uh, just uh, that push the push the needle. You know, um, I would say the Ethereum investors are not a very at times, they can be very altruistic in many senses, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess, and it comes down to like, what are we here to do? So you guys have been around since 2018, is that right? 800 plus builders, 30 plus meetups. It looks like GitHub is kind of the, the, the main place where a lot of that action happens. And is it 90K USD that's been deployed since July 19, 23 dApps? About that, uh, well, that's... Um, out more or less that it's numbers need to be updated right but um i guess you know meta so that was moloch dao i guess metacartel dao um is a dao created by the metacartel community um that was focused on funding you know uh dApps, right um products in the space because you know at that time i guess you know 
uh, in the space, there was a narrative of that during early 2019, no one was were building products. No one was trying to find new use cases. No one was building for people. It was still overly focused on infrastructure and technology. And I guess, you know, um, Metacartel was initially created, right, as a technical working group on UX solutions for Ethereum dApps, right? Uh, most uh, known as for the meta, uh, meta, meta transactions, right, technology that we worked on. And I guess, you know, this, as we solved various problems, we kind of like didn't have real problems to solve. So, but we realized we had a community and we wanted to take that community and, you know, see if we can solve another problem. And I guess, you know, we realized it was the lack of focus on the end user that was like the narrative that we wanted to change, right? And I guess like as uh, going back to the Moloch story, I was rejected from Moloch DAO because I was too poor for only pledging 10 ETH. So Amin just told me to fork Moloch DAO and, you know, and start your own DAO of Metacartel. And I guess that's when, you know, I just did that. Uh, and, you know, it became a thing. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Metacartel was, a, was kind of just like um, a casual working group. We, had, we have a dancing chili as a logo because people thought it was funny. <laughs> You know, we, the Metacartel name came out of a community vote on like what would be the funny name to name our work technical working group. <laughs> right. so, I mean, in, it, from what I can understand, it was it was really like a, a social group that would meet up around largely Ethereum meetups, conferences and stuff like that. You now have a formal presence there. So you're, you're financing dApps at the moment. Um, is the intention to finance things that wouldn't get financed elsewhere? Are you focusing on a particular stage? Or are you really looking to invest in things that could go on to become a startup in a classic sense? So there are various DAOs within the Metacartel community, right? Uh, I would say at the core of Metacartel's community, we have Metacartel DAO, which is a purely grants giving uh, you know, DAO, where it, it doesn't seek profit, right, or returns. And the only real returns, I guess, it's looking to deploy funding for is really projects and teams that, you know, are looking to solve and prove out new use cases. And, you know, that's really the focus, you know, and I guess uh, maybe there's internal discussions of where Metacartel should be focusing on next. Um, but that's kind of what it's been working on for the last, you know, kind of like, I guess, 10 to nine months, right? Um, and I guess we have another DAO called VentureDAO that's focused more on investing, right, directly for profit into projects and companies and, and DAPs and DAOs, right? And I guess they're looking for projects and that, you know, become fully fledged, I guess, um, products and well, I mean, it definitely feels like, I mean, I, I probably spent too much time with lawyers. I mean, we have an in-house one. And, you know, whenever I look at something like um, a DAO for investor allocation, in, investing in things, whether it's a token or anything else, I always get told, well, it looks a lot like a collective investment scheme. That's a regulated activity. I mean, I, I guess that just isn't a, con a concern for for something like VentureDAO or because they're so distributed, they actually think that the, the risk associated is, is, is too low. Well, VentureDAO is just a, um, it's just a, it's just a, I guess, I will see, right. <laughs> With, you know, accredited, you know, individuals in them and, you know, collectively invest money. Right. Um, so they are accredited then they're all accredited individuals. Well, we have, well, I guess not everyone is accredited. Um, but, you know, we have various founders in the group, mostly, you know, we have, we have, we've been selecting very carefully and curating the group very carefully for only folks who are able to kind of like, I guess, be somewhat active, right, provide thoughts, you know, highly qualified individuals. And how we structured the um, DAO, right, is, you know, we basically, you know, we, we see ourselves, right, as almost uh, as general uh, or general partners, right? So there's no, you know, in a traditional firm, a venture firm, you'd have LPs, we would just see ourselves as, you know, 
were direct, you know, um, general partners of this organization, right? Um, Especially very similar to, um, so we're actually structured not as a GPLP fund, but as a, right. what you call it, an LLP partnership. Right. Um, so it is a, it is a partnership. There isn't uh, a company. We do have an operating company. Outline doesn't are, have um, outside capital, right? No. Yeah. Right. So I think we're now uh, 25 partners that just kind of right. come in organically over, <laughs> yeah. over the last six years. It's, it's, it's probably very similar. It's probably very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's probably very similar in, in that manner, right? Where it's everyone's uh, skin game. Um, but yeah. And, and, you know, it also brings a different approach to investments because investing your own money or, you know, people with a greater degree of proximity versus an LP's money, which is often, you know, can be something that's an entity that's at a distance. Uh, I guess, you know, you're, you're thinking a bit harder about that investment. The incentives are definitely different. Another way to put it, you're less incentivized to invest into Ponzi schemes. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. And look, Anyways, I mean, I think right. there are, yeah, there are, there are certain funds that will quite happily invest in things if it's going to deliver a yield and, and that's um, good on them. But yeah, I think also when, when a partnership is in, in theory, something that happens in perpetuity, unlike a GPL fee fund structure, which has a, you know, an end beginning and an end, it, it kind of forces you into thinking within certain time cycles and yielding certain returns that is that pressure to deliver a return. Whilst in a partnership model, especially one where a partner can enter or exit easily, uh, yep. it's kind of more of an evergreen structure. So mm. um, that allows you to be a bit more aligned with the things that you're investing in. Certainly that's how, how, how we found it. Anyway. Yeah, so this Web3 manifesto that you did, I, I just reread it before we started recording the podcast. And I think it's really interesting because one of the things that I'm trying to uncover in this podcast is, you know, c can we land upon a commonly understood definition of Web3? Currently, the answer is no. Uh, I think you've certainly got one of the more expansive and one that, that is much more concerned about societal impact. But for me, most importantly, this concept of, I guess, a convergence of gaming culture with hacker culture and crypto. Uh, and specifically, you say Web3 has the potential to be the ultimate massively multiplayer online role-playing game. I'm using the, um, I'm explaining yeah. it for, for, for people that might not know, a slightly older generation, and that transcends entertainment or gaming. And really this concept of kind of gamifying, I guess, all the relationships around us, perhaps a, 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 a merging of work and play. And whilst I, I feel... I feel a little bit old when I read that. I'll be honest with you, because whilst I, you know, I I, I do game. I'm, I wouldn't class myself as a gamer. It intuitively it feels like the correct generational shift, right? If I imagine the people that I work with on a day to day basis and how they look at the world, how they look at work and employment or not, it, it totally makes sense. But it definitely made me feel a bit old. So could, could you? Um, could you explain the kind of core principles? And obviously DAOs, you're very clear, DAOs are a foundational piece of architecture for that. I guess, yeah. Um, I guess the document, um, the Web3 Manifesto, it's, I think the primer I would add there is it's not to be fully read with full seriousness. Uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, in a, in a bit, we, we often joke in Metacontinent that everything we do is just a piece of performance art. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that, that, you know, that aims to like, 
that's just another you know experiment for us to observe and to see what comes out of it. And I think that you know the document is almost like where you know the strange thing about Metacartel is that last year in October after DevCon, right, we actually came together with the mo with the key contributors of Metacartel Jiao in person in Denver, where we met each other for mostly different members for the first time ever, right? Even like talk, you know, like I've I met people who I've been talking to for over like a year, yeah. right? Um, and the strange thing was, was there was a pause in the room at one time when we were brainstorming, workshopping things, where it was like, you know, what is like web free and you know, what, what are we going towards? And I guess it's like, someone was saying, you know, someone asked like, what's this, what's the craziest thing that we can think about? <laughs> like what, what, what is the craziest thing that makes sense to us? And I guess there's always been the discussion around like how, how, you know, you can actually with web free, you can actually perhaps like build a game that encompasses everything you do in your life. You know, um, and, you know, we just kind of built off that vision of like, oh, what, you know, why not, why aren't schools like eventually run like a DAO, <laughs> you know, to align incentives of all the students, you know, teachers and parents even and local community, uh, you know, with ISAs and et cetera. And we just went, you know, very, we went very far with like how we, what made sense to us, right? But you went um, all the way, right? So if I remember, you, you went to unbundle the state. So in this idea of what, what is sovereignty. So right. You definitely, I don't think you can go any further than let's unbundle the state. Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's, that's, those are pretty like, it's a big statement, right? But in general, I think it's like, we're seeing this happen today. Twitter has unbundled the state or like what we know now as our health officials, right? Um, we trust the largely on Twitter with our health more than we trust the WHO in many senses now, right? We trust online communities. I'm quite rightly, than, by the way. <laughs> correct. You fucking got it right. You know, I mean, and you know, I a lot of other groups on Twitter got it right, and you know, their advantage was the ability to make decisions very quickly, propagate information, have information symmetry, not be held back by bureaucracy of like you know of top-down structures, and you know, I see that as almost the first step. Uh, step right. It's like the whole you know thing in the last month, really, the crisis in the world. It's really taught me that, you know, we can't rely on the governments, like, we can't really rely on them on, like, doing the job well. You know, they can hand out money, maybe. But, you know, trusting uh, them with our health? No, that's cost lives. The incompetency of, like, these systems that, you know, obviously top down that we see have in the world right now, they've been remained so unchecked for so long that, you know, they basically erupted into what we know as <laughs> the great epidemic of, or the terrible 20s as 2020s yeah, right. known as, right? And, you know, I think that's a very clear case. And I, I, and I think that's, and the discussions that I've had with people recently in the last couple of weeks have kind of shown that a lot of people feel the same way in the sense that, you know, they no longer trust what we know previously have known as authorities. What does authority even mean? What, what gives them the authority to make these incorrect decisions in the first place? You know, who, can we ever trust what the concept of authority? And I think, you know, naturally without like these uh, imposed authorities that, you know, have been kind of offered to us by these institutions, you know, we naturally find, you know, who do we trust? You know, um, we ask questions and we look around ourselves and say, I guess it's like, what can we depend on? And oftentimes you, you often just go to go down a path and you'll end up with like groups of people who know what they're doing. And it turns out groups of people who know what they're doing uh, can organize much more efficiently than what we have done so today. And maybe, you know, DAOs are a way, a, a framework in which people can organize themselves uh, under and, you know, allocate resources much more efficiently. 
Um, you know, like even though the DAOs that we've seen today on Ethereum have been predominantly grants DAOs, they've proven out one thing very well, that you can distribute capital very efficiently using them. The, 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 the capital distribution mechanism for these DAOs and communities, uh, I would say there's not, there's, it's not fully, we still need to see a lot of experimentation around that, but I think, you know, there's uh, some decent validation of that. Sustainability, I think that's another question, but in, in the context of, say, government, all they are is just a grants-giving organization. And they take, you know, um, uh, they skim off the top, right, to fund their own grants-giving operations or non-grants-giving operations, <laughs> right? Well, you could definitely um, argue that, the, you know, the financial system, uh, as governments are now trying to distribute money to, whether it's SMEs, uh, even large corporations or individuals, you know, they're finding, can they mobilize the existing financial system to, to get money to people quickly? And the answer is no. And we saw with 2008 that uh, banks were incredibly ineffective at, right. at, at handling that. And I, the, the thing that I've kind of been, I think we had a, a tweet, uh, there's a tweet stream where we started talking and I think I started it saying it, it, it feels intuitively to me like the way that 2008 was the, the right moment for, for Bitcoin to kind of come into play, that 2020, it feels like the right moment for the DAO to come in for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Right. So to allow for communities to self-organize. And I think when you read your manifesto, maybe six months ago, it would have sounded crazier than it does now um, in, in, in this current context. And there's a lot of things in it. Like if you read, you know, Self-Sovereign Individual, the book, the natural conclusion to software that can empower sovereignty of the user is the dissolution of the state. Now, right. a lot of people just think that that's crazy or, or at least uh, they don't want to imagine it. But it's it, about the self-sustainable, um, uh, self-sovereign community, right? That can allocate its resources in, you know, like collab, I guess, solve its own community problems first, right? And I guess it's almost like, I think that's, uh, underlying theme of Web3, isn't it? You know, it's like community, like community run and own projects. That it's like that's the whole like Web3 is just pretty. Web3 is broken, hard to use software if otherwise. Yeah, well, right. Yeah, with with lots of inbuilt friction. So you know, with your experiences in both participating in DAOs, creating them, supporting them, do you think there's a, a threshold to the the, to the size of a DAO, you know, there's this kind of, uh, I forget the name of the, 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 the law around the, the average person has a certain amount of friends in their network of first degree friends that that's kind of innate to, to humans in terms of how we can organize or socialize. Do you think that's true with DAOs? And I'm assuming that in a way that you were supported to go and create your own DAO, you also encourage others and you've now got this ecosystem of DAOs centered around Metacartel. So do you think it's natural that each DAO will always kind of spawn another DAO? Uh, is it quite evolutionary like that? Is there a threshold to size scale? I think um, the size narrative of DAOs um, have always been very theoretical, you know, and I think like you could argue that ICOs were DAOs that grew too quickly and didn't work, like communities that didn't work. Right. I think that it's very obvious that if you grow DAOs too quickly, or just communities in general, if you grow communities in general too quickly without having the right like cycles of, you know, um, growth and consolidation, you know, you'll end up not the right duration, you'll end up with like lack of signal, right, in the community. I think that um, we're yet to see 
<laughs> like, you know, metacartel DAOs reaching that 100 member threshold where it's like very tight, very strong culture and strong values, strong sense of values. Uh, and we're yet to see how it can evolve that. We're starting to see the friction points of like uh, the friction points already with like, you know, scale and governance. And I think, you know, that's when we need to concretely solve like things such as like, okay, like let's just like delegate people, delegate community leaders now <laughs> to, you know, like uh, max eight people for community member, like, you know, max eight delegated votes to a single person and go from there. And, yes. you know, suddenly it's just like 16 people again, practically voting, right? And uh, have and participating in governance. Uh, I think it's like we're just we're here to just solve this right now, right? Um, so I think don't know. Um, we'll see. I think we'll depends, right? <laughs> well, I mean, there's lots of you know, there's a millennia of political science in in understanding, sure. and and you can see it, it makes logical sense. The, the the way I look at crypto is we kind of have this bottom up permissionless proto capital market, and the mm. way that I look at what's happening in the DAO space now is. You know, we are, we are forming, if you take it just end state, as you say, this proto state, but in the interim, a proto corporation or, and it's interesting that then once you hit a scale point, the same, the same patterns emerge, right? You start to revert to delegation and you kind of have that equivalent of a parliamentary but, document. But ultimately what you end up with potentially is, you know, you have many different DAOs, right? Of different sizes and perhaps it, you know, if these different DAOs, such as medical to a DAO and say, give DAO, right? Um, you know, they, they like each other, they have similar values that are compatible. They might actually, you know, set up, you know, their own, like almost their own, like uh, DAO interface for interacting. They set, they, they clearly define the values, how to interact with them, you know, the, you know, the resources, what they care about. And they, you know, perhaps form a federation of different, uh, start a federation, right? Uh, almost a network state. And if these groups of DAOs can then decide on like, you know, it's like the Federalist, paper, Federalist Papers all over again. It's the United States all over again. Why? Yeah. There's different states decentralized. Why should we band together to work together? How do we even ever do that, right? I think we're going to uh, encounter that. Um, we're gonna, probably going to encounter that. We're not going to encounter that anytime soon. I think we're going to stop playing with these ideas. But I guess, you know, I think, I also think that, you know, DAOs um, also can enable like dictatorships that are much more fluid, like enabling like safe dictatorships. Like even in, you know, even the most democratic countries in times of need, need like need, you know, the tend towards a more authoritarian, you know, uh, state of rule. And which is fine. I think that's honestly like the kind of the goal. It's like you want to, you want to, you know, you want to, you know, I guess transition in and out of different, you know, modes of governance as needed. And that's why, you know, the kind of the bottom up model works very well because you can go from like very democratic, <laughs> you know, to go from a very democratic down to one day perhaps delegating and locking up all your voting power to one person for maybe three months, right? It's like the Elon emergency. Musk, right? Everybody's just gonna- Exactly, it's like, holy shit, yeah. Elon Musk, take care of our shit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know tell us what to do, we'll follow you. And you know, it's perhaps not, after it's, that- It's, it's like not too different can... to, um, to a city state. You know, you look at Singapore or, or certain right. places within the UAE, you know, they kind of exist outside of larger nation states, but mm. in a way they're kind of critical to the global economy, right? And right you could imagine that these are really just a digital instance of, of something similar to that. And it's not impossible to imagine that, let's say there's that federation of DAOs that very quickly the economic value that passes through them could equal any one of these city states. Yeah, and I guess it's like just communities in general have never had a means to like manage money together, you know, in a viable, cheap, like, and safe way. Like we've just like had bank accounts until we had like the idea of smart contracts. Like, on, isn't that weird? That, you know, we've always had to like manage money either physically or like 
relying on the traditional financial system via bank accounts before we had like crypto. Yeah. Like, isn't that a wild, wild fucking like past world that we lived in? <laughs> well, it's funny people talk about, you know, onboarding the unbanked into crypto. The fact is that the unbanked don't want to bank. That's right. the last thing. They don't want one. They've never had one. What they want is something that's much more efficient and, and, and effective. So, so what's next for MetaCartel and uh, I guess also the venture down? Is, is there a predefined roadmap or is it kind of just you're experimenting with different pathways and, and being reactive to, to, the, to the user or it's, where demand is. It's been, you know, we've been on this narrative of like building this like builder community and making community for the last, you know, year or so. I think we're definitely at a transition point. Um, I think, you know, we've learned a lot from experimentation and we, we're at a stage where we're ready to kind of like maybe evolve onto the next stage. And I think, you know, we're still shaping up and, you know, being observing what that may look like. And I think that's almost a perfect time to do so, right? Because, you know, the world's changing and priorities are changing. And I think, you know, my, my thoughts were to down members were mostly just to be, to not distract ourselves, to not distract ourselves, right? Um, and, you know, shift to all the different mindset we're, we're always doing in Metacartel. It's like, it's kind of like a pedantic, like incessant thing where we're always doing, experimenting and thinking. And sometimes it's like, you know, I think to, to think about whether we want to go next as Metacartel as a community, I think we have to like, watch and we have to be observed not only in the world, but ourselves. Um, and I think um, the next step will kind of show, it always kind of does um, as far as I've learned, right? Um, but it is definitely at an inflection point. Well, look, it was really good to chat to you. I mean, um, hopefully we get to meet up in person. I'd love to, to have a, a beer and go uh, and go really deep on many of these different rabbit holes that are, that are out Absolutely. there. I think it's super fascinating, the space that you're in. I think, you know, now is the moment where things like this can perhaps not mainstream, but can certainly build up way more momentum than, than previously. And both myself personally and Outlier are actively looking at, you know, how we might begin to directly participate in, in this whole ecosystem. So uh, I'm sure I'll be DMing you on Twitter with, with a few ideas soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Jamie, talking to you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.